born to lose or were born dead for 18 minutes. When I was born, I was a stillborn baby. I was a dead baby. I was a blue baby. They put my body on a table in the corner and left me for dead. But it's not over until God say it's over. When I was 11 years old, my daddy got sick. Two weeks later, my dad died with cancer of the liver. When I came along, I'm, I'm the baby of eight. And I'm not only the baby of eight. I'm a eight number one mama, baby boy. I love my mama. My mama did everything for me. She fed me, she clothed me, she bathed me, she walked with me and helped me. But one day in my life, my mom got sick when I was 14 years old. The doctor came to my family and said, your mama will never come home again. She had cancer. She had six months. At the very moment to live, I said, no, my mama, my mama will never abandon me. My mama told me, I, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. But I, I got down on my knees and prayed, God, don't take mama. God, don't take mama. God, don't take mama. But in October, 1968, my mama took a lot of breath. And when my mama died, I didn't want to live. I wanted to die too. I didn't have one thing to live for. Everywhere I went, people made fun of me. They look at me and they point and call me every name other than my own. He said, look, the boy walked funny. Look, the boy talked funny. I went home every day and got in bed and chilled, rolling down my face, begging to die. I attempted suicide every other day for two years. Everybody gave up on me. I gave up on me. One night, I went to church. I didn't want to go to church. I've been to church, but God don't love me. If God love me, why God take away my mama? If God love me, why God pick on me? God don't even like me. But that night, I sat down in a church. Then I found out. One thing I found out that God does love me. And I had a wonderful plan for my life. I found out that I'm not okay, but that's okay. God loves me just the way I am. And that night I, I came and I gave my life to the Lord.
I'm in my school after that night. The student body that called me every name other than my own, a public school. They were so dumbfounded. They had to call together a large good assembly to find out what changed my life. And I said to the body, I, I'm not the same anymore. I've been changed. I gave my life to God. I'm, I don't want to die anymore. I want to live. Why? Because I got something worth living for. They voted me to be the most popular boy in the Studemarty. I became popular when I gave my life to God. God called me to go all over the United States telling my story. They tell me I, I will never be I will never be a preacher. They say you won't ever make it. But I only been doing it 37 years. They said nobody will invite you to their church. Uh, but I have spoken in over 6,000 churches. We throw away broken things, but God don't. God used broken things. They told me I will never find a wife. No woman will love you. You're not good enough to be loved. But September 5th, 1981, God gave me a beautiful bride. We have been together for over 28 years. They told me I would never be a daddy, but I am. Uh, no one but full time. Every time I look at my family, all I can say to God be the glory. Do I think he had done? I thank God every day for taking away my mama. If God did not take away my mama, my children would not be born. If God did not allow my mama to die, I would never find a wife. God saw a dead baby, and God brought that dead baby to life. And one day I'm going to wake up, I'm going to have me a brand new body, I'm going to see my mama and my dad again, we're gonna live forever, and I'm gonna say to my Lord, Lord, why have you been so good to me? And I hope it will say, well done, good and favor servant. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved.
there's a goal in your life and ultimately in eternity to be the person that God created you to be. You are not here by accident. God did not say, oops, I didn't mean to make you. He's created you with a purpose, and He's created you with a purpose for having a relationship with Him. That relationship through God, through Jesus Christ, and being that person that God wants you to be is first and foremost, God wants that relationship. Secondly, He wants you to grow in that relationship. As you grow in that relationship with God, you begin to discover new things about Him, and you have a far greater appreciation. In my life today, after coming to know Christ as my Savior as a young child and growing up and learning more about God day after day and year after year, I have a far greater appreciation and honor for God than ever before. And ultimately, we want to have that relationship and grow in that relationship so we can serve God, giving Him the honor and the glory that only He deserves. And then one day we stand before God. And the Bible teaches about there being a judgment and a judgment of those who know Christ as Savior and those who don't know Christ as Savior. And those who know Christ as Savior, God will be looking at our works and not saying, hmm, should I let you into heaven? If you know Christ as your Savior, you're secure. You will be with Him in heaven. But He will give you an opportunity to be rewarded. And the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 23, Jesus tells a parable, a story. And he finishes the story with this statement. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And someday, we will all stand before God, either to be judged as people that don't know Christ as Savior, or be able to be judged as people that do, not know, that do know Christ as their Savior, that have a relationship with Him. And the Bible says those that have a relationship with Him will receive rewards for our works here on earth. That's not the motivation. Hmm, I want a crown in heaven, so therefore I'm going to work hard for it. I want a crown in heaven, and there's a list of crowns. Crowns are a crown of life, an incorruptible crown, a crown of righteousness, a crown of glory, a crown of exaltation. And we can use those crowns not to bring glory to ourselves, but the Bible says that we will cast them at Jesus' feet crying, holy, holy, holy. And we're going to be casting them back to Jesus as an act of worship. And it's a great motivation. In the book of Philippians, that's where we're going to be today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 3. And in Philippians, the, the entire theme of the book is the joy of the Lord. He says in Philippians 3.1, Rejoice in the Lord. And he gives us a reason to rejoice, a reason to get up every day. In verse number 14, it says, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what Paul, the, the author of this book of Philippians, is doing here is he's giving us a picture. And the picture is of someone running a race. Some Bible commentators suggest it may have been like a running race, although one suggested may have been more thinking of a chariot race, which I like to think of as a chariot race. Because if I was on the back of a chariot, hanging on, going around in the oval, I think I'd be hanging on for dear life. And what it speaks of here is that we have no time to look around. If you're in a race, and if you're halfway through a race, you don't stop and go, hang on guys, I need a break for a few minutes. 
No, you keep on going. And particularly thinking of a chariot race, I'm hanging on for dear life as we go around the corner. I don't have time to do anything but focus. I don't have time to, for distractions. And what Paul's saying there in verse number 14, in, the, in fact, verses 12 through 14, is giving us a picture of someone going through a race for the goal of winning the prize in the end. This morning we have a principle. The principle, and we're thinking about our past, is I can overcome my negative past by using it for God's glory. This doesn't mean that it's going to be removed. This doesn't mean that everything's going to be rosy. That doesn't mean that everything, once you come to know Christ as your Savior, you sit back and there's no problems ever again. But what we can say is we can over, be overcomers. As the entire theme of this series is to overcome. I don't want to live the same life as we've lived previously. I want to grow in that relationship with God. I want to continue to grow in that relationship. I don't want to stagnate. I don't want to go backwards. I want to move forward and to be an overcomer. And we can do that by using our past for the glory of God. Every Christian here today can use their negative past for God's glory. And I have four steps from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And I'm going to read that passage right now. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, it will be on the screen for you to follow also. And follow along with me, and then we're going to break this down into the four steps. It says there in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This morning we have four steps. The four steps are to accept reality, focus on truth, forgive the hurt, and leverage your past. So let's go through these four steps. Let's begin with the first one, accept reality. Accept what is real, what is true. The reality is, you are not perfect. No matter what your boyfriend told you, no matter what your, your fiancé told you, you're just perfect. I never want you to change at all. You are not perfect. Your life is not And if you accept that reality, you look around and you know the world's not perfect. Well, our world is filled with hurt. Our bodies are filled with pain. Our past, if you begin thinking about the things that have happened to you in your past, we by no means have a perfect past. Some of you have physical ailments. Some of you have been, been hurt emotionally. Some of you have been hurt physically or even sexually or by people that are supposed to take care of you. And you look at that and you think, my past is horrible. We need to accept the reality. There's something about being vulnerable that's difficult. To be honest with you, I do not like to be vulnerable. It kind of goes with the job, though, to be honest with you. In order to relate to people and sit down with people and help them through their pain, I have to actually open myself up. And maybe you do, too. 
as Paul is doing that exact same thing, trying to encourage this church in a real place called Philippi 2,000 years ago. In a similar way, he's trying to encourage a church in Bunbury in 2018 by being vulnerable. And he says, not that I've already obtained or am already perfect. He's basically saying, I'm not perfect. And of course, we all go, we know. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What's the motivation? Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. We don't always want to be vulnerable. But being vulnerable, I believe, is the first step of accepting reality. We are not perfect. My circumstances, my upbringing, my health is not perfect. Try going to the doctor with an ailment and going, and the doctor gives you the diagnosis, and you say, no, that's not what's wrong with me at all. I am perfectly fine. I don't know, there's some doctors here today. How does that work when you sit down with a patient and they deny the fact that they're sick? The reality is Christ, as it says in verse 12, has made me his own. If you go into the previous part of that passage, as the Apostle Paul is teaching there, he's giving him a little bit of his own resume. And you look back at his resume, it's actually a pretty impressive resume if you were a first century Jew wanting to become a Pharisee. His upbringing was absolutely incredible. It says in verse number 3, put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence. Now he's not being a big-headed guy there, basically saying there, I had a very privileged upbringing. I had everything you could ever want. For I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Basically saying, you think you had a good upbringing? I had a better upbringing. Circumcised on the eighth day. That doesn't sound that impressive, but it was to them. I, uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, out to the law of Pharisee. He's basically saying, my family, we follow the law exactly. Other passages in the Bible teaches about his, his education. He sat at a man's feet, which is the way they were taught there, of a man named Gamaliel. It means nothing to us. He went to the preppiest prep school you could possibly go to, and he sat at the master's feet. Verse 6, as to zeal a persecutor of the church. He says, I was so zealous for, to be a Pharisee that I took it to the point where I didn't just go, those silly Christians. I actually went and persecuted them. I put some action behind my, my words. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. I followed the law to the T. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For, the sake, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The goal was to be found in Christ. And he changes the perspective. He turns it around and goes, I had an incredible, incredible upbringing that actually was keeping me away from the love of God because I wasn't relying upon Jesus Christ. I was relying upon how good am I? Paul had to accept the reality that he was not good enough. Paul also, 
in another passage in the book of Acts, the very first time we see him recorded in the Bible. He's a young man, and he's overseeing the stoning death of a, of a deacon in the first church, a man named Stephen. You imagine the guilt that Paul carried around knowing that he orchestrated the death of a person, a person that was righteous, a person that was wanting to serve God, and he in his seemingly self-righteous way said, I hate you so much, I'm going to kill you. The, the first century church, they didn't believe that he was converted when he came to you know Christ as his, say, his Savior. There was a barrier between them. They looked at him and said, I don't know if we can trust you. And to be honest with you, if you came in here on one week and killed somebody, one of us, and then a couple weeks later you come in and go, I'm different now, I can see us going, hmm. Paul had to carry around that guilt. He had to carry around that label year after year after year. He was forgiven, but certainly he had not forgotten. Because in order to overcome his past, not only did he have to accept the reality that he was not perfect, he could not do it on his own, he had to actually focus on what was really true. He had to focus on, it says in verse number 13, if you notice on the screen it says 13b, and that's nothing scriptural about it, it just breaks it up. That verse 13, we're going to break it up into three sections, A, B, and C. It just helps you find it in the scripture. It says this, but one thing I do, maybe you've been the victim in the past. People have hurt you on the outside and you're carrying that around. Maybe they emotionally hurt you, physically hurt you. And you carry that around and you begin to label yourself as what someone else has called you. I wish, and probably you do too, I could take back some of the stupid, unkind things that I said to others in high school. And if you're in high school today, just think about the things of regret that you're putting in your life right now. The dumb things. And I think about it with my own children. They come to me, all three of them, and they complain about what the other person told them. You can say, well, that's just mean. But rather than just saying, stop it, this is what I try to do, particularly with my girls, because they're tender-hearted little beautiful girls. I say to them, is it true that you're ugly and you know, un you know, stupid? And they go, no, it's not true. I say, absolutely, it's not true. You are beautiful, you're smart, you're wonderful. And I try to put in the truth in them, because all around them, they're going to have unkind brothers. They're going to have people around them telling them what they should look like and what they aren't. They need to hear it from their father and mother, the fact that they are wonderful, they are beautiful, they are smart, they do have the ability to do what it is that God wants them to do. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He says, the one thing I do. In Philippians chapter number 4, go to the next page over, the next chapter. He's encouraging the church to rejoice. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. The theme of the entire book is joy. And he gives us some, some tools to think about. Because in our world around us, it's easy. In the darkness of night, as you're laying there in bed in, in insomnia and you can't sleep, what comes to your mind? Things that are not holy and happy. You don't often think in the in, you know, 3 a.m. when you can't sleep, oh, God loves me so much. It's Right, I'm tremendous. God loves me and cares for me. What do we think about? 
we fill our minds with, remember that time back in 1982 that you did that really dumb thing and you begin to mull over the sins of your past, the hurt of your past, and you begin to mull those things over. Paul here gives us a replacement. In verse number 8, it continues on, Finally, brothers, when it says brothers there, it's talking about universal. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Why do you think he's challenging us to think about the wonderful positive attributes of things that God impresses upon us and brings to us? It's because we don't naturally do it. Why do you think you have to tell your kids, parents, 50 times, clean your room? Because it doesn't naturally happen. Paul here is telling you, think about whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is just, because it is not natural at all. You can see the struggles of my family this week. We have the steps to overcome our past is to accept reality. It's also to focus on what is true. As you read through the Bible and you begin looking for the truth and the love of God, it jumps out at you. And it's also, third, is to forgive the hurt. And to be honest with you, the first two, accepting reality, ah, I know I have a problem. I know that the world's not perfect. Yes, I know that God loves me and cares for me. Forgiving the hurt, I think, is where we often stop. And we hit a barrier, we hit a wall, and it's hard to move past that barrier and that wall because we go and we hit it again and again and we can't get past the forgive. Verse 13, in the middle of that verse, at the end of that verse, it says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I do not have, and neither do you, have the ability to forget the hurts of the past. We don't have the ability to remove that from our brains. You know, the, the shock therapy does not work that way. But what we can do is to move on, is to forgive the past. And this is difficult, and I'll acknowledge that. It's hard not to continually bring up the past. Remember that time that you did this? And you may... Hold it back where you don't actually say it out loud, but in your mind, maybe someone comes to your mind that has hurt you of your past. And you've told yourself, yeah, I've moved on from that, but have you actually forgiven them? The best example I find in Scripture of, of this is a man named Joseph. Joseph, in Genesis chapters number 37 through 50, of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, is a young boy who grows up to be a man. He grows up at the end of his life as the ruler, the second in charge of Egypt. He's the prime minister of Egypt, and he saves the entire world from a worldwide famine. God tells them through a dream that there's going to be seven years of incredible plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine prepared during the good years for the famine years. And he, God did that in order to save his people, to save the nation of Israel. But through that, in the beginning, Joseph had ten brothers that absolutely hated him. And if you know the story, it's absolutely incredible, and I encourage you, read it. Really, it's a riveting story. But it's a true story. And you think about the emotions involved 
in being hated by your brothers. And these brothers hating Joseph to the point where they wanted to kill him. And rather than kill him, they saw an opportunity to make a little bit of money, so they sold their brother, their flesh and blood, into slavery, never in their minds to see him again. And they carried around the guilt of that selling their brother because their, their father loved Joseph. And then Joseph comes into being eventually sold into Egypt. He works his way up in a family and he becomes the head slave over this entire household. And then he's falsely accused of rape by the, or attempted rape by the master's wife and is thrown into jail. So he goes like this. I'm the favorite son of Jacob. I'm sold into slavery. And then I work my way up. I'm the head of a household. And then I go to prison. And if I could go down below the, the stage area to be how low you are at that time. And then, he, then God miraculously works while he's thrown into prison to introduce him to Pharaoh and tell, retell a dream that Pharaoh had. And from that, he goes back to being the prime minister of, of Egypt and second in charge of the world's superpower at the time. And you think about that, and then he eventually saves his entire family from, from the famine. And Joseph's brothers, after years of holding on to this guilt, the father had already passed away. They'd been living in Egypt for many years. They come to Joseph, and they're asking for forgiveness. And they're hoping that their brother doesn't now take revenge on them that they deserve. And in verses 19 through 21, it says, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Am I not exactly where God wants me to be? Hang on, you are sold into slavery. You are thrown into prison. And Joseph's response is, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Verse 21, so do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. In our life groups through the week, uh, we have our life group worksheets on the welcome table out there. We're going to study the life of Joseph and walk through these different four steps and, and using Joseph as the example. Joseph had to break the power of the past, and the only way he could do that was through forgiveness. And then with that, he also didn't just say, okay, I forgive you, and I'm going to try really hard to remember that again and again. He had to break it by recognizing the blessing of God. The two videos that we saw this morning, one man was deaf, the other man had cerebral palsy. Both of them praised and thanked God for what we would see as a disability. They said, thank you, God, for what you've done for me because they recognized the blessings of God. Verse 20 again, for as for you, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. David Ring the man with cerebral palsy, made a statement. And it was very difficult to hear on the video. I listened to the video several times, and I caught what he said. I thank God every day for taking my mother away. That's tough. He liked his mother. That's really, really tough. He recognized the blessing. 
one of his most famous sermons, and he's, this man has preached in a number of very churches that I very much respect across the United States. One of his most famous sermons is the sermon, I have cerebral palsy, what's your problem? And I think he would appreciate you, you laughing at that because I have a cerebral palsy, you have a problem too, what's your problem that we can use for God's honor and glory? Because we need to use that to leverage our past. And you need to use your past to leverage it forward for the things of God. That's our fourth point this morning, is to leverage your past. Verse 14 says, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Your past can be used to bless others. Your past can be used to honor and glorify God. And you may be like Joseph in the early stages where you're still in slavery or still in the, in the prison and you're still thinking to yourself, has God forgotten about me? You need to begin working through the steps. And it's tough. And I'm not going to say it's easy. I have no doubt that Joseph, in the first several months of being a slave, probably cried himself to sleep every single night thinking, what if I lost? I'm never going to get out of here, ever. In 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verses 12 through 15, going back to the life of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul used his past, used his education, used his training, not to bring glory upon himself any longer, but to leverage it to move forward. And he recognized it. I think he made him a softer and kinder man as a, as a result. Verse 12 says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Now, let me just explain that a little bit. He is there saying, thank you, God, that I can be used by you. This wasn't an act of pride like, yeah, God's using me. Of course he's going to use me. Look how good I am. He's saying there, wow, God, you can use me with all my mistakes, all the things that I've done, the past that I don't want anyone else to know about. Verse 13, though formerly I was, and this is who you used to be in the past, a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted accordingly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. He said, I'm going to now live not in my own strength, but live in the grace of God. That verse 14 again says, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The only way the Apostle Paul was going to move forward from his past was to live in the grace of God. To daily rely upon 100% that I'm living in God's grace. And only through His love and His mercy am I living. And that's only by God's grace. How are you going to overcome your past? This morning, according to this passage, and all we did was look at this one passage and we walked through it. We need to accept reality. 
Focus on truth. Forgive the hurt. Leverage your past. I don't think in the next five minutes you're going to have all those worked out. But that's why we're together as a church family. We can walk together in this and encourage. There's probably some of you that are suffering in different areas that someone else can come alongside and be an encouragement to. There's probably circumstances and things in your life that you can come and be an encouragement to someone else just as much as they are to you. That's one of the joys about being part of a church family. And at the end of the service, I'm going to invite you, if you like to be prayed with or prayed for, or you'd like to be an encouragement to someone, someone will be up here at the front of the service at the very end. We'll spend as much time as necessary. We're not in a rush. And let us encourage you through prayer. Encourage you through accepting reality, focusing on truth, forgiving the hurt, and leveraging your past so that we can live out the principle of today, which is I can overcome my negative past by using it for God's glory. In that same passage, the next chapter, chapter 4, Philippians 4.13, this is a great verse to commit to memory. It says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You don't have to do this on your own. He's with you every step of the way, and God will give you the strength that you need. Let me close with two questions. The first question is this. What is in your past that is holding you back from God's best? What's in your past? Is there something that's holding you back? Something that maybe your success, maybe it's a failure. What is it? And it's important to recognize that. That's the first step to moving forward and overcoming. And the second question is, will you ask God for the grace and strength you need to overcome? In a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray silently where you are and acknowledge that. Bring it back to your memory, things that, that, you, that may be holding you back. And then turn it around and say, God, I only can do this through your grace and your strength. Will you do what you promised to do and be with me every step of the way? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to do life by ourselves. Lord, I thank you that even though I don't always like what happened in my past, that it can be used for your honor and your glory, that we can leverage it for you, and we can be more sensitive to those around us and kind to those around us and to use it for your honor and glory. And Lord, there's people here today that are hurting. There are people that are going through some real difficulties in their lives. And Lord, I pray that today we will be an encouragement to them, that you will give them the grace and the strength that they need to be an overcomer of their past. In Jesus' name. Amen.